Welcome everybody and thank you for joining us today. It is, it's indeed a privilege to be able to share the gospel with you this morning. Yeah, over the, over the past couple of weeks, as uh, Steve indicated and Candace as well, we've been following in the footsteps of Jesus according to the gospel of Mark. At this point in scripture, we on the West, Wednesday in the Passion Week, and we're about two days away from the crucifixion of Jesus. So the reading today is from Mark chapter 12, from verses 35 through to 44, and we'll do the reading in two parts. But there are three aspects that we will be considering. The first thing is the identity of Christ. The second thing is the, the take of Jesus on false teachers. And the third is the very well-known piece of scripture that deals with or that re recounts the instance of the poor widow who puts in the very last two coins that she has in her possession. I'm blessed to be a member of a life group at M5 with Henya. And uh, today, as Steve indicated, will be a team effort from our side. So we will preach and pray and read um, and, and participate I thank our team members for just joining me on that as well. Uh, can we start off with a prayer? And Louette, will you please pray for us? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to hear your word. We pray, Father, that our hearts are prepared to receive your message. And Lord, that you would work in us a new thing today. We pray for Petazi. As he speaks to us, Father, may your Holy Spirit be upon him. We pray for your wisdom and your guidance, Lord Jesus. And we pray that your community will be blessed by what you have to say to us this morning through him. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this time. Bless it to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Louis. Um, the first part of our reading today will be then from Mark uh, Chapter 12, if you have your Bibles ready or your devices, and it's a couple of verses that Mish will share with us. It's Mark chapter 12 from verse 35 through to 37. Um, Mish, if you will read first, please. Sure. Um, while Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David calls himself Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. Thank you, Mish. So, so the key question today regarding this portion of scripture is, who is Jesus? Who is this man really? Uh, as we said, it's Wednesday. Um, the crucifixion of Jesus is two days away. And he addresses, Jesus addresses the most important and foundational reality of his ministry, namely his identity. But who is he? Who is this man, Jesus? Is he, in fact, the Messiah? Or is he perhaps even more God incarnate, the Son of God? This was a question everybody grappled with in, when Jesus walked the earth. They were the Romans, but their only concern was really to have the Jews remain subservient. And so they didn't really care about the teachings or the person of Jesus. The Jews back then and also today, they held a view that Jesus was a man and nothing more than a man. The Messiah was to be an earthly ruler 
a man of unparalleled power. He would rise to defeat all of Israel's enemies. He would fulfill the promises given to Abraham and eventually through to David. The promises grounded in the Old Testament covenants were to come to fruition in the Messiah. They believed he would be a human being, but wielding great power such as never been seen before. But they didn't see the Messiah as the savior of souls. They saw the Messiah as the savior of the Jewish nation. They did not then and not even now see the Messiah as God in human flesh. And that brought him on a direct collision with Jesus because he claimed to be more than just a man. We know the religious hated uh, Jesus. They hated him for denouncing them, public, publicly exposing their corruption, the hypocrisy for his influence, which diminished theirs in the eyes of the people and presented the divine view of true religion, which was in opposition to theirs. On top of that, they hated him for being a blasphemer because he made himself equal to God. In John 14, 6, we read, when Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, Jesus had been questioned from all different angles by religious leaders, but note the difference. Their questions were intended to trap him and with sinister objectives. He asks the question because he reaches out in love one more time. And, and here's the question, as me shared with us in, in verse 35. How is it that the teachers of the law say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be? his son. Now, where did the scribes, um, how did, where did the scribes get this? Uh, well, they knew the Old Testament scriptures. The authors of 2 Samuel, Psalm 89, Amos, Micah, Ezekiel, they all understood the Messiah had to be David's son. And today's reading refers back to Psalm 110 verse 1, where David filled with the Holy Spirit says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So we know as early as Jesus' baptism, his identity was revealed. We read in Luke 3 from verse 21. Now when all the peoples were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. While he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Not everybody was persuaded, though. Even John the Baptist, we read in Luke chapter 7, when he was incarcerated, he sent disciples to Jesus and he says, you know, are you the Christ or must we look for another one? Are you the Messiah? We know that Jesus testified, testified about his own deity on several occasions. For example, in his conversation with a Samaritan woman at the well, John chapter 4, she asked Jesus a question. She said, where can you get this living water? And he said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give them will never thirst. Indeed, 
the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So at one point after feeding 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread and, 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 and some fish uh, and eating the blind man in Bethsaida, we read in Matthew 16 that Jesus asked his disciples, so who, who do the people say I am? And some said John the Baptist, some others said Elijah, others even said Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But Jesus persisted and he said, so who do you say I am? And Peter responded, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, this wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my father who is in heaven. However, as has been pointed out over the past couple of weeks, um, people's expectation of the coming Messiah was entirely different from the person portrayed by Jesus. He had, of course, he had significant authority and through his teachings and behavior, he turned the wisdom of this world on its head. But people were expecting a military leader, a conqueror would follow in the footsteps of King David and set them free, free from the oppression of the Romans, the Roman Empire, helped them to come into their own as a proud nation that they, that they always were. Within the context of today's scripture, this expectation was still pretty much prevalent. Only a couple of days before, when Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey, people lined the streets, they paved the streets with their cloaks and with branches and shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. John 12, verse 12. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. We know, of course, that a mere two days later, the shouts of acclamation praising Jesus turned into damning shouts of crucifying, crucifying. So Jesus' teaching poses this question again, verse, verse 35. How is it that the teachers of the law say that the Christ is the son of David? You see, here God was saying to Jesus, you God was saying to Jesus, you will be at my right hand until I put the enemies under your feet. Say, how can Jesus be David's son? Well, yes, indeed. Jesus was the son of David. But also, God incarnate, the savior of the world. Jesus had an earthly mother and father. And in fulfillment of prophecy, both lineages stemmed from King David. In fact, in Matthew 1, with the genealogy of Christ, we can track it all the way from Abraham through David down to Joseph. And in Luke uh, chapter 3, we have the genealogy of Mary, all the way from David, all the way down to Mary. So he had an earthly mother and father. However, neither Joseph nor Mary's DNA ran in Jesus' blood. Jesus' DNA is the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In fact, in John 1, verse 1 to 5, John leaves us under no doubt about who Jesus is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. So here we have the creator of the universe existing outside of time and space, 
who enters the cosmos, took on human flesh and paid the ultimate penalty on our behalf. Jesus was crystal clear about his deity. Again, we quoted um, John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. The question today based on this scripture would be, who is Jesus for me personally today? Medical worker, healer, model teacher, exemplary role model, or is Jesus the author of the universe who um, has the key, holds the key to eternity? Whatever you take on, take is on Jesus, uh, whether you are exploring the claims of Christ, perhaps, whether you have, whether you feel that you've backslidden, and I can speak from experience how easy it is to lose one's way. Or you might say, but I'm in a healthy relationship with Jesus. Whatever the status, the recipe is the same. We need to read God's word and we need to pray. Yes, we can read about the Bible. We can read about God's word, but it can never substitute God's word. We can read books about prayer, but it can't substitute prayer. You see, Jesus doesn't have a call center. We can reach him directly. I'm sure there are people on, this, on the screens now that will say, yeah, I, I struggle sometimes to get through to an important person in a, in a big company. You know, I've got to try and get past the receptionist and past the PA, and maybe I can make an appointment. Jesus doesn't have a receptionist or a PA. And they say, well, he may be, maybe the Holy Spirit is a PA, but then he's on your side. YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, they can give additional information, but the word of God is unshakable and should always be the primary source of understanding and inspiration. For all of us as Christ followers, we need to get back to basics, you know. Let us be able to unequivocally declare, as Peter did, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I want us now, when we go to prayer, just to ponder that for a moment. You know, just ask the question in your own heart. Who is Jesus for me today? Um, Merle, can I ask you, Merle, to pray first, please? Lord, our hearts are flow, overflow with pride and with joy and with, with, with just knowing the glory of God. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. We have the privilege, Lord, to know, uh, to know Jesus. And so, Lord, we, as we continue to be encouraged by your word, we pray that we will not only know your word, but that we will truly know um, Jesus for ourselves, our savior, not just a man, um, not just uh, um, another human being, Father, but the savior of the world. And so, Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness, for your goodness to us this morning as we are served by Pete with your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mo. Let's, let's get to our second portion of scripture, um, which we find in Mark. We're still in Mark chapter 12 and if, uh, verses 38 to 44. Um, and um, I'll ask Rady. Rady, will you share with us, please? I'll share from my Bible. Um, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched the, as the crowd dropped their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth. 
the poor widow has given more than any other who has made contributions, for they have given part of the surplus, but she, as poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. That's great. Already, just go back a little bit first. We, we skipped out on 38, 39, and 40, the part where it talks about the uh, false oh. teachers. Do you have that first? Uh, no, I don't. Okay, that's fine. I can uh, let me just fill in there quickly. Uh, and thank you so much for sharing that part about the widow. The part that we also just have to read in there is uh, then in, um, in, in, verse, uh, in verse 38. So as he taught, Jesus says, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. And then it's followed by, by Rayleigh's reading where he talks, where he observes the, the widow. So let us, just, let us just reflect on the context for the moment. As explained over the past couple of weeks, the religious le leaders of the day comprised, the, amongst others, the Sadducees, they were the religious liberals, the Pharisees, the religious conservatives, for the most part, they were actually uh, theological enemies, but absolutely united in terms of their hate of Jesus. And then there were the scribes, you know, the Jews had a saying, so Moses received the law and he gave it to Joshua. Joshua received the law, he gave it to the elders. The elders received the law, they gave it to the prophets. The prophets received the law and they gave it to the scribes. So the scribes, for the most part, were Pharisees, they were regarded as illegal experts. They were the possessors of the law and the gatekeepers uh, of what was supposed to be true about the word of God. They were the lawyers of Israel within the theocratic kingdom. Their function wasn't just the interpretation of the law, but the application of the law. So they were a dominant force. They were supposed to be the protectors of the people. They know what God wanted and they would lead the people to obedience so that they could be blessed. But our Lord said, beware of them. Now, if you have to beware of your protectors, you're in trouble. You can't trust the people who are supposed to show you what is true. You're not in a happy place. But the people trusted them. There was no option. And they were sucked in by the, their deception. In Matthew 23, Jesus says, these men who are themselves sons of hell are making sons of hell out of you. So what then is the problem? Well, it's all external. Matthew 23, you clean the outside of the dish, but on the inside, it's filthy. On the outside, you're a whitewashed tomb. On the inside, corrupt, rotting flesh. Amongst others, the scribes uh, deceived the widows. They plundered them. They had the possessions bonded as security for their services. And then when the widows passed on, took over. How many evangelists are doing that today? Pleasing the vulnerable with promises of health and healing and prosperity. Send me your money and God will pour out blessings on you. As John MacArthur once put it, taking advantage of the weak, the desperate, the despairing, the lonely, the hopeless, and the helpless. All that the religious leaders had to do was to play on the feelings of believers. And they were sitting pretty in terms of acknowledgement, adoration, and of course, a fair share of the contributions made. 
What once was a sacred calling became a curse. And that is what Jesus called out on several occasions. The statement about religious leaders is condensed here in Mark, but in, in Matthew 23, 36 verses in all, in terms of Jesus's view of what was going on. There's a warning not only to those who have the wrong views about scripture and Christ and the gospel, but those who propagate these views. And from this, we know that Jesus doesn't take any prisoners as far as false teachers are concerned. It was especially the vulnerable, like the widows, which were preyed upon, and they were gullible enough to be manipulated and taken advantage of. The religious leaders often became the beneficiaries of estates and left widows penniless and destitute. The mantra of a false teacher is, send me your money and God will bless you. We just have to reflect back on Christ turning over the tables of the money changers and chasing people out of the temple, as was shared a couple of weeks ago. To understand how despicable he finds the practice of false teaching and self-centered teaching. Apart from the unholy motivations which lies at the core of false teaching are the inherent falsehoods being proclaimed. You know, the truth is salvation cannot be bought. It is a gift. Salvation cannot be earned. It's entirely by God's grace. Abundance does not necessarily mean financial prosperity. There are two burning questions we should ponder about today's reading up to this point. And the first one is, what do we listen to? And what credence do we give to the teachings that we hear? But perhaps the most important question is, to what degree do we relay the truth to others in word and deed? I want to posit this statement. I know it sounds like a paradox. Salvation is free, but costly. So what does it cost? Well, in today's reading, we transition to the court of the women, and we see Jesus sitting opposite the place where the offerings were placed, watching people as they deposit their offerings into the temple treasury. Now, these were trumpet-shaped receptacles, 13 in all of them, scattered around, and each with a specific purpose, in the shape of trumpets. So Mark tells us some wealthy people donated a lot. It's understandable if you are wealthy, you can, on a proportionate basis, you can actually contribute a lot. But there were no notes or credit cards. You couldn't write checks, coins, right? So as people deposited these coins into the receptacles, there was quite an audible feedback in terms of the size of the contribution. Maybe that's where the saying comes from, you know, don't blow your own trumpet. But then something happens, and this is specifically noticed by Jesus. A widow puts in a last two coins, the value of which is about 164th of a denarius, which is, was about a day's wages. So this would have bought maybe a loaf of bread or some vegetables and so on. The sustenance for a day. We read that Jesus then called his disciples over and he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. How can it be? How can it be more? Let us see what this passage does not say. It doesn't say, sell everything you have, give it to the church, or give it to the poor. But you might say, wait a minute, Pete, but you know, no, Jesus once gave that answer to a rich young man who approached him. That's true, Matthew 19, we read about that account. But here's the context. 
So this young man approached Jesus and he says, what must I, what good thing should I do to inherit eternal life? And uh, Jesus uh, said to him, well, you, you have to be sure about keeping the commandments. And he listed, uh, he listed some commandments. And, uh, and the young man said, I've done all of that. But what else should I do? Um, note the emphasis on the verb do. And then Jesus said, well, sell your possession. And here's the caveat. Come and follow me. And we know the end of that story. The, the young man left, he left aggrieved. Now you see, Jesus knew his heart. And he knew that in young, that young man's heart of hearts, um, there was another king. It wasn't the king of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. It was the king of Mammon, king of money. Wealth became the substitute God. Now, Jesus taught us a lot about money when he walked the earth. In fact, 11 of the, th in the 39 parables deals with money. But interesting, money isn't the root of all evil. Uh, that, that's a misconception. It's misquoted. In 1 Timothy, it says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But the most insightful account about this, I believe, we find in Mark 12, where Jesus was questioned by the Pharisees and the Herodians who wanted to trap him. And they spoke and they asked him about paying taxes. And he said, can you bring me a coin? And he looked at the coin and he says, whose image is on this coin? And they said, it's Caesar. He says, well, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. The question here is, on what is the image of Jesus? His image is on us. So he wants us. He wants nothing but all of who we are, not our assets or our money. God doesn't really need our money. It belongs to him anyway. He can't enrich God by our giving. But as Shane says, said to us last week, Jesus desires all of who we are in terms of mind, soul, body, and spirit. It reminds me of a question which Justine posed a couple of weeks ago. Are you all in? Jesus knew that the widow who put her last two pennies in the treasury was all in. She gave heart currency, not H-A-R-D, heart currency. And that was all that was required. She wouldn't have imagined in her wildest dreams that the contribution the value of a loaf of bread would be would feature in God's word and be spoken about in many churches across the globe to potentially thousands of people and seekers 2,000 years later. The question that we have to ask ourselves today is what is the state of my heart currency? Am I investing in the heavenly exchange? What does my spiritual balance sheet look like? And that question we've got to ask ourselves, I would like us to come into land with a word from Paul in Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We each have to respond to this call for ourselves this morning. Will you please join me uh, in prayer? Dear Lord Jesus, thank you, Father, that we can this morning exalt you as our Savior. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing saving grace, which is enough for even a sinner like me. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to resort to salvation as a do-it-yourself project. Yeah. You've done and accomplished it all on our behalf. 
Thank you that we just have to answer yes, 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 Lord Jesus, be the king of my life in every respect. Lord, we know that you look at our hearts and you know each and every one of us on the screen today. You know every facet of our existence. You know where we're heading and you know our challenges. Nothing takes you by surprise, Father. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you will refresh us anew today. Infuse us and empower us to bear the fruits of your spirit. In these troubled times, Lord, please help us to submit fully to you. And by the power of your spirit, live out our lives of joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, and self-control. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.